Good morning and welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. Well, today's message was a unique one at our church. Last night's thunderstorm left our entire church without electricity. And so we worship old school, even with the lights and the speakers off, we took our time to walk through Jesus's great commission and learn how his first listeners would have heard the target of ministry to go to all nations. Thanks for joining us on this Back to Basics morning as we learn the importance of opening our eyes to the mission of God for all nations. It must have been a couple of years that my daughter was asking for a puppy. She wanted a puppy. In fact, she named it before we ever found it. The puppy's name was going to be Bella. Well, one late night I was uh, browsing the puppy ads on the internets and came across a little black puppy. Guess what the puppy's name was? Bella. And I showed it to Emily and Emily said, oh, (laughs) we got to get it. And so we got it. And the entire family was overjoyed except for our existing dog. Our, Our current dog, Tappy, didn't want anything to do with Bella. We had this little puppy, and we'd bring him close, and he'd look the other way. He don't want to even look at her. Didn't even want to see this dog. If he had thumbs, he'd cover his eyes if he could. Um, any of you with dogs might understand just that weird little nature of jealousy that we have. In fact, it's kind of found throughout all animals from one example to another. Isn't that weird? It's kind of found in us, too. Do you ever feel that way, a little Jealous about somebody else causes you not to want to be around them, not to acknowledge, not to even want to look at them. This becomes a problem in a family because Bella is part of her family, right? She is. She's, she's got to belong no matter how our other dog feels about her because now she's adopted as one of us. God has a design for the church, and his design for the church is to call more into his family. One of the problems from even the very get-go has been that weird flaw in human nature to when others are coming in, we get a little nervous, we get a little scared, and we might even want to turn our gaze away from those who God is welcoming in. This was a problem all the way back to the very first calling that we read um, in Genesis 12. The call to Abraham to go to this place. We've heard this already from Jesus in Matthew 28, right? That's part of the commission. You need to go. And the calling here for Abraham was a work of faith by which God would bless the world, the whole world. So Israel had this task. Those who came as descendants of Abraham, expressed in their faith of that which God has said, were supposed to be, help me out with this, a light to the a light to the whole world. But they failed. They didn't want to do this task. And one of the biggest reasons why they didn't want to do this task is because as they looked around at the nations, they saw a people that they deemed unworthy undeserving, unrighteous, in fact, enemies. Think, think with me. Can you imagine living back 2,000 years ago in Israel 
being a God-fearer, you would have been a Jew at this time. Gentiles were out. We were not allowed in connection with the promises of God. We were separated from God and his covenant. You needed to become Jewish if you were going to have access to God. Except as you and I would look around in that world, we would see what other country occupying our homeland. Does anyone know? They were called what? They came from Rome. What were they called? Yeah, there you go. The Romans were the Gentiles. And the Romans didn't love God. The Romans didn't look like them, didn't look like us, didn't act like us, didn't have the same cultural expressions as us, didn't have the same relationship with God. And, 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 and you want us to let them in? There's no way for us this morning that we can continue in understanding Jesus's commissioning statement unless we understand it the way they would have heard it. Uh, turn with me, if you're not there already, to Matthew 28. We'll read it again, verses 19 and 20. Jesus's last words, his marching orders to his disciples. And we're going to do our best this morning to unpack it through the lens from which they would have heard it. Everybody with me? Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, Jesus says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. We've heard this a bunch. If you've, if you've gone to church any time in your life within an evangelical tradition, no doubt this sounds almost like background noise. Go make disciples of all nations. The problem that we have, maybe twofold, is that number one, we have had so much familiarity with this, we forget the offensiveness from which it would have been heard by the first century hearers. And secondly, you've benefited from it because you're all nations. You are. Bunch of Gentiles. The only reason you came to know Jesus, that you find peace and hope and security, the hope of resurrection, the promises of God, the fellowship of his people and the Holy Spirit is because somebody went and told the Gentiles of which we are the benefits of. And now we have the task of continuing on in this same commission. There is, however, often a fear or objection when it comes to going to all nations. And to address those objections this morning, we have got to understand this the way the Jews, the disciples of Jesus' time would have understood it. If you're interested in taking notes from the sermon notes and filling in the blanks, uh, the, I, believe, I believe I actually might need a copy of that. Do we have extra bullets in here? All right, um, uh, so far this is essentially what I've already said. You can't understand all nations without understanding it the, the way the Jews heard it. Would have had a helpful spelling up here, but there's a big word for this. It's called ethnocentrism. Ask Teresa how to spell that because I don't know how to spell it. <laughs> ethnocentrism. Ethnos is the word of the root Greek understanding for nations. And centrism means we're not looking out, we're looking in. That was the problem for the Jews. That's our problem as well today. 
God calls us to look out. And every church that I have been a part of that focuses its energy and resources to look out is a living and active, Christ-glorifying church. But every church that looks inward and seeks self-preservation, exclusive and isolationism, those are the churches that are not healthy. And so four ways, uh, you'll see these listed here, for how the Jews would have heard this term, ethnos, go to all the nations. For them, it would have been an immediate understanding of Gentile. And so their first thought would have been enemy. That's a political understanding. The political lens is, go to my enemies? There'd be a second lens that would be spiritual, for you wouldn't just see the Gentiles as enemies, you would see them as unrighteous. In fact, uh, when Paul writes in quoting some of the uh, Jews around his day in Ephesians chapter 2, he refers to the Gentiles with this phrase, uncircumcised heathens. That's what they call the Gentiles. Why are they putting in this uncircumcised idea in there? Well, because that was the covenantal sign of holiness and purity amongst God's people, of which they know nothing of. Not only are they enemies, they're also unspiritual. Not only are they unspiritual in a spiritual lens, they're unclean in a societal lens. Unclean. We have an example of this in Galatians chapter 2. Paul confronts Peter because Peter, being a Jew, is hanging out with a bunch of us Gentiles. And while Peter is eating with us, he is actually fellowshipping with the church who is made up of Gentiles. But then some of his Jewish buddies show up and Peter's like, well, I don't want them to see me eating with Gentiles. So Peter shrinks back from his fellowship with the Gentile church. And Paul calls him on it. Why, why was Peter doing that? Because the pressure of society says, you can't be around them. You can't eat with them. You can't eat what they eat. They're unclean. One last lens to look at this, the cultural lens uh, this is the concept of being unworthy. Uh, best example you have of this is com- comes from an observation from Jesus where you have a Pharisee who is worthy and he stands and he says, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like a Gentile. I do all these things for you. I fast and I tithe. I have found my own form of self-righteousness. He doesn't say that, but that's essentially what Jesus is intending. And then Jesus calls to attention a tax collector. Now, the tax collector is still Jewish, but he works for who? He works for the Gentiles. And the tax collector, he says, doesn't even look up to heaven. He knows he's unworthy. We we miss all that, you guys. We miss all of that because of our 2,000-year separation Our cultural distinctives have changed and the fact that we've benefited as Gentiles from knowing Jesus. We miss all of that that's bound up in those two little words when Jesus says, therefore, go make disciples of all nations. He might as well have said, therefore, go make disciples of your enemies. Go make disciples of the unspiritual. 
Go make disciples of the unclean. Go make disciples of the unworthy. That's exactly what they would have heard. And if you and I are a little honest this morning, there may actually be some contemporary merit to those same objections. I was coaching the Gus Macker yesterday with my daughter's team. And uh, she plays on a team that was made up of uh, four other girls when they would play during the school year. So eight total, but they split them into two Gus Macker teams. And then the way the bracket went forward turned out that the last game yesterday was these two girls, these two teams. Guess what they had to do? They had to go head to head now. And I had coached both of them so they knew each other's plays. (laughs) But I'm a sneaky coach. So I pulled Sadie's team aside and I taught them a new play that the other girls didn't know and we whooped them. <laughs> it was a little painful, actually. It was, it was hard to watch. The, the other team, they tried really good. Um, I have an awesome picture of it that I was going to show you uh, because after the game was over, I had both of the teams come together and put their arms around each other and Sadie's team in blue are all smiles and what do you think the other group looked like? Yeah. Just forcing a smile if they could, right? That, that's basically how the Jews felt too. It, you, you're telling me you want us to come together? You're telling me you want me to put my arm around them? They're oppressing us for four quarters. They've been kicking my butt. <laughs> you, you get the idea? Like that is the attitude that the Jews had. You want us to go to the Gentiles? This would be a great Wednesday Bible study. I'd be happy if you bring this up again, that we could study uh, an ancient Greek ruler named Antiochus uh, Epiphanes and what he did to the Jews as a Gentile. The slaughter that he brought into Jerusalem by crucifying all of the priests, by killing, murdering the babies who had been circumcised and hanging them around the mother's necks by going into Jerusalem and sacrificing an unclean pig on the altar and then uh, re-christening it a temple to Zeus. Who did all that? A Gentile did all of that. And that attitude got hammered into the hearts of the Jewish people. There's no way you and I are going to understand the sacrifice needed to obey Jesus to go to all nations unless we understand it the way they heard it. And so I want to unpack this in terms of some objections. Israel failed at the mission of reaching the Gentiles, but Jesus didn't. Isn't that interesting? What's the difference then? What is it that might have been an objection from the Jews that Jesus comes and brings correction on? That's going to be the course of our study for this morning. So first objection is political. First objection is rooted in politics. It sounds like this. Let them help themselves. If if we're going to send, and we prayed for our missionaries today, right? If we were going to send support overseas, have you ever heard that objection? Let them help themselves. They're not us. They're not with us. You may, in fact, see them as enemies. If you have your Bibles, flip with me to Acts chapter 15. This would have been one verse I put up on the screen, but you need to see it. Acts chapter 15. 
Because from the Jewish perspective of the very first Christians, they wrestled with this idea of having to think in their minds about the Gentiles in a way they had never thought before. Acts chapter 15, verse 1. Acts chapter 15, verse 1. Some men came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be what? Wow. How about that? You cannot be a follower of Jesus. You cannot be saved, they're teaching, unless you get circumcised, which makes you Jewish. You, you now are part of the Jewish family at that point. If that wasn't enough, jump down to verse 5. Look what they say here. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to obey the law of Moses, which, help me out here, would make them, would make them Jewish. Why are they doing this? Because they're looking through a political lens. Look, go to all nations, fine. We'll go to all nations, and as we go, we'll make them Jews. Right? That's the answer that they're coming up with. And it's because they've looked at the Great Commission through a political lens. Now, Jesus tells us something completely different. I want you to back up into Matthew's Gospel now for just a second. Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Appreciate hearing those pages of the Bible flipping as we worship this morning. Matthew chapter 5, look at verse 43. Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your what? Why did Jesus succeed where the Jewish nation failed. And it's because Jesus comes and he changes the perspective. You want to look at it through a political lens? Jesus says, fine, that's fine. Look at it through a political lens. I'm going to give you a greater command. Love. Love your enemies. Now you tell me, how's that objection going to work now? Let them help themselves. Is that going to work any longer? Not if you're listening to Jesus, who said to love your enemies. Second objection that maybe you've heard that I've heard is uh, they don't deserve it. They don't deserve this. This is, a, this is rooted in spiritual immaturity and honestly blindness. If someone brought the objection for serving overseas, reaching out in international missions to go to all nations with this phrase, they don't deserve it. The root of that comes from spiritual blindness. Now, it might be obvious to you being here on a Sunday morning, but I wonder how often you may live your life according to this truth. Answer this question. How many of us deserve God's love? That was a little murmured answer there, right? How many? How many? No, none. Zero. We would have on the screen Romans chapter 3, 
Romans chapter 3. In fact, turn there. It might be good enough to look at it. Romans chapter 3, because it's going to deal with this unifying again of all peoples, both Jew and Gentile. Romans chapter 3, look in verse 9. Paul says, what shall we conclude? Are we any better? He's here speaking on behalf of the Jewish nation. Are we any better? Not at all. We've already made the charge that the Jews and the Gentiles alike are all under sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. So, there's the objection. They don't deserve it. They don't deserve it. Do you? There is a um, great ending to the book of Jonah. You guys know the story of Jonah the prophet, right? Swallowed by a fish. Comes back out, gets to go to Nineveh. Gives his little mini sermon. You know, 40 days, God's going to destroy this. And Nineveh is torn in their hearts. From the king and the highest in the land down to the smallest little animal, everybody repents. And do you know what God does? Does he bring his destruction? You know the story. He does not. And then, and then Jonah, having now helped to save this great city, being used by God, is in depression. Jonah said, turn there with me. Flip, flip back. In Jonah chapter 4. This will take you a minute to find. Take me a minute to find. (laughs) Jonah chapter 4. Wait another second. I hear some pages turning. It's it's number uh, page 1361 in my Bible, but I don't know how that's going to help you. (laughs) 1325 in the Pew Bible? All right. Thank you, Judy. Jonah chapter 4. Verse 1, but Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord, O Lord, is this not what I said while I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. What is is Jonah so upset over? This whole Gentile land is now no longer going to be destroyed by God. He should be rejoicing over this. But he doesn't because he's got this blindness. He's he's covered his eyes to see the design of God's glory in all nations. So, apart from God's supernatural intervention for Jonah, Israel fails again. But Jesus succeeds There's this great story of Jesus encountering a centurion. You know the story in the Gospels? The centurion, he comes, he says that his servant is dying. How nervous would you be if you were there with Jesus as a disciple and a Roman centurion shows up, right? Like, I'm nervous if a cop shows up, right? (laughs) But now the Romans, not just any Roman, a centurion shows up. So you can imagine all the disciples are a little bit nervous at this point. 
And Jesus says, in hearing the need for healing, all right, let's go see him. And the centurion says, you don't even have to come. He says, I'm a man who is under command. I say it and it's done. The centurion says, just like you, you just, you say the word and it'll be done. And Jesus looks at this Gentile and he's like, this is amazing faith. This is amazing faith. And then Jesus gives this little prophetic word. He says that this type of faith will be seen on that great banquet day where many will come from the east and from the west and will take their seat at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He sees that the faith of the Gentiles are welcomed in because Jesus is not doing one of these. He's not spiritually blinding himself to look the other way or in Jonah's case, literally go the other way. The same is going to be true with us. Unless you see the need with spiritual eyes, you might buy into the convenient objection that they don't deserve it. Jesus saw that the glory of God's kingdom was greater than the glory of man's. Thirdly, an objection that's rooted in nationalism. Have you ever heard this one? We got our own problems here. No amens from that, you guys? No, nobody, right? So true, right? We got our own problems here. Why, why are you going overseas? Why, why are you trying to help someone else when we got our own problems here? Um, I want to submit to you this morning that that is a misunderstanding of the mission. In fact, if we look back in Matthew 28, what, what did Jesus say? Therefore, go fix problems of all nations. Is that what it says? You are always going to have problems. The, the command and the task was never try to go fix any problems. And the reason why you think it is, is because you're thinking not like a Christian. You're thinking with nationalism. We're going to build up our nation. No amens on that. Okay, all right. Yeah. But that, that's how a lot of people think. That it's all about our castle, our house, our glory. In fact, if you uh, look with me in the book of Acts chapter 1 real quick. Acts chapter 1. You have, you have the Jews um, represented here as the apostles now who have seen the risen Jesus. Jesus is eating with them in verse 4 of Acts chapter 1. He says, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father has promised. By the way, what is that? What's the gift? Anyone know? It's the Holy Spirit. But wait for the gift my father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Awesome, right? Awesome news. That is the fuel that's going to enable us both to know where to go, how to go, and what to say. So don't leave your tank empty. Jesus says, wait to get filled up. And so look at the very next thing they ask. Verse 6. So when these apostles all met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to us? Oh, nationalism. Again, we got our own problems. In John chapter 10, you have... A story of Jesus again. Turn with me to John chapter 10. How does Israel fail but Jesus succeed? 
John chapter 10 and in verse 16, praying for his disciples, Jesus says this, I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. Jesus saw the potential for more as greater than this isolation of the few. So Jesus succeeds once more by looking beyond the borders that represent whatever identity is tempted to come from your society. One last um, connection here, the obser- an observation that's rooted in cultural ethnocentricity. Remember that really big word? Cultural ethnocentricity. Ethnocentricity is you thinking that your culture is the best. My team's number one. My team's number one. Ethnocentricity. Ever hear this one? Why should we send money and resources over there? Let's use it for ourselves. Belonging to God means that you belong to a new mission. One of the great confusions that happens within ethnocentricity is that the Jews thought that they were righteous before God because they were Jews. In Romans chapter 9, the Apostle Paul writes about his heart being broken for his own people because they think they're right with God when really they're not. That They have used this inward look at their own national glory centering on themselves, thinking just because we come from Abraham means God likes us best. When I was coaching those, those two teams um, at that last game, I was kind of giving some pointers to the black team, too. I was, I was trying to help them out. And Sadie kept looking at me like, why are you cheering for them? Why are you cheering for them? <laughs> yeah, don't think just because you're my daughter that I'm not going to help them as well. That's the mistake that the Jews met, made as well. Paul says this in Romans 9. Not all Israel is Israel. And just because, don't, don't think just because you've descended from Abraham that that makes you Abraham's heir or a child of Abraham. It's not because of some lineage or uh, genealogy that makes you right with God. So any form of ethnocentricity is going to place you in a place of complete misunderstanding. The Apostle Peter figured this out. In fact, he speaks to the church scattered and calls them a royal priesthood, a holy nation. How about that? Isn't that incredible? You, you now belong to a new nationality. The Apostle Paul says in Philippians, your citizenship is in heaven. To the church in Philippi, a, a, a Gentile outpost with some Jews there as well. But what you have now is this new nation that doesn't look inward. It looks Outward, Uh, repeatedly throughout Paul's letters, you'll find one of the things that he does is he seeks to help the other churches and um, 
boy, there's so much that I'd like to study, and we're kind of running out of time a little bit here, but let, let me give you some conclusions so we can wrap up, and we'll just look at one of these. You can start turning to Romans 15 real quick. I just want you to hear uh, Paul's heart on this. First conclusion from our study here with this little bitty phrase, all nations, hearing it the way that the Jews would have heard it, the first conclusion is this, God's strategy for his glory goes beyond your borders. God's strategy for his glory, it must go beyond your border. Romans chapter 15, Uh, you guys with me there? Romans 15, verse 14, Paul says, I myself am convinced, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, complete in knowledge, competent to instruct one another. So here's what he's saying to the church in Rome. He's saying, you don't need me here anymore. You you have the Holy Spirit. You are able to continue the work of making disciples so that I can leave. You are competent to to do this yourself. Verse 15, I've written you quite boldly on some points as if to remind you of them again because of the grace God gave me to to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles with the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, uh, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done. Uh, He's essentially saying here, I'm not looking for pride. I'm not looking for glory. Don't talk about my name. Talk about Jesus's name. He did all the work through me. Look with me in verse 19. By the power of signs and miracles through the power of the Spirit. So, from Jerusalem, this is where we get a map out. From Jerusalem all the way to Ericlium, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known. Wait a minute. Did you catch that? How cool is that? What was Paul's ambition? To preach the gospel where Christ is not known. Which means it goes beyond his what? It goes beyond his borders. He says, so I'm not building on someone else's foundation. Verse 21, rather, as it's written, those who were not told about him will see. And those who have not heard will understand. This is why I've often been hindered from coming to you. But now that there are no more places for me to work in these regions. Wow, look look at that. There's no more place for Paul to work. Why? Because all the way from Jerusalem to Ericulum, he's done what? He's proclaimed the gospel. Uh, when we served in the Caribbean uh, at the Christian school where we worked, the, the power would go out all the time, just like that. And one of the things that I couldn't understand is that, that none of the other dorms or houses there had generators. And so our church back in Texas, we put together uh, some resources to purchase generators for the whole school, the whole, every family, every dorm. So we had these, uh, I think it was something like six to seven generators. Now, when you are out in the middle of an island, engines break. And so I, find, I found myself becoming quite the professional small engine repairman for these generators. Um, Micah would actually help me with this sometimes. Uh, I was trying to take him with me to train him how to do some of this. But here, here's the way it would work. We go, power would go out. 
We go to the first generator, find out what was wrong with it, put some fuel in it, change the carburetor. Bob, you know all these. Right? Bob could tell you how to do it just right. right? And we pull start that thing until it got running. And then we'd leave and we go to the next one. And then we'd look what's wrong with that and we'd fix this and we'd fix that and we'd put fuel in. We'd start it up. It starts running and we'd leave. Do you, you see, see what's happening here? That generator, once it's running, is going to do all the work of spreading the power everywhere it can reach. But there's some places it can't reach. And so someone's going to have to go and take a look and be like, all right, what needs to get fixed here? That's the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul's design, his strategy of missions is to go to a place, go to a city, find out what needs to be put in order through the proclamation of the gospel. And once it starts running, once it starts developing, that church becomes healthy, the Apostle Paul says, all right, I'm on to the next one. And he continually went beyond his borders because that's God's strategy for his glory. Second conclusion that we have from this word, uh, all nations, is that your own cultural and political and societal norms, they do not make you any more deserving. You and I are not any more deserving than the rest of the world. In fact, you will find that it's actually the opposite thing that gets taught in Scripture. Uh, Maybe you can help me with this quote. Jesus says, to whom much is given, much is required. So let's just ask the question, do we have more than the rest of the world? What do you think? Have you been given much? Absolutely. Do not confuse that privilege and blessing as if God was somehow only working here and you are more deserving because we have more than the rest of the world. Don't get caught up in ethnocentrism. Last conclusion is uh, God's mission requires a changed identity that makes you and I learn to see all nations as potential brothers and sisters. That's what you call family, isn't it? Brothers and sisters. We need to have our identity changed that causes us to look across the oceans and say, those are my brothers. Those are my sisters. And so what can you and I do today? This is my challenge to you on application. What what can we do today in resonating with Jesus's commission to go to them enemies, unrighteous, unclean, unworthy, what can you and I do today? Here, it's as simple as this. What we tried to do with our little dog. You need to open your eyes. You need to open your eyes to see God's family according to God's design. I, I, I want to prove that to you in just uh, three short ways, past, present, and future. Uh, do you know we all come from the same family? Isn't that kind of cool to think of? I mean... You like family, I guess that's good, right? <laughs> In the garden, Adam and Eve, all of us draw our heritage back to one family. The Bible says that. Um, oh, that's past, though, right? That's looking backwards. What about the present? The present is that it's God's design that the church is meant to be a family of all nations. That's God's design. And we know this. Because the terminology that you and I are given to refer to one another are brother and sister. Right now. 
We all call each other that more often. That's one thing that I loved when I worked in the Caribbean. That's how they always refer to one another. Brother Ryan. Brother Wayne. Sister Emily. It's beautiful. Our hearts are still attached there with those folks. That's presently how it's supposed to work. But the clincher might be the future. Um, Because I don't have it on the screen, you're going to have to turn here for this one as we wrap up. But go to the book of Revelation, please. Revelation, we're going to start in 5 and 7. One verse in 5 and one verse in 7. Revelation chapter 5. In verse 9, here speaking of the living creatures, the 24 elders, those angelic creatures, along with all the prayers of the saints, verse 9 says, they sang a new song. Here it is. Here's the song. You are worthy. Speaking of who? Jesus. You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals. Why? Why, are, why is he worthy? Here's the answer. Because you were slain and with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. That's where the name ends, right? Flip the page over to chapter 7. Let's just see it one more time. Chapter 7, again in verse 9. After this, I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from... Here it is. Every nation, tribe, people, and language. Standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. Uh, It is is because Jesus is worthy. That's why you and I continue the task. And you will only find resonance with this by the Holy Spirit's leading so long as you stop doing this. You have to open your eyes to see. Now, I was going to have a really great video to show you. (laughs) And I don't have it this morning because of the power.